We get excited about that. The music is just perfectly right. His enthusiasm is so excited. The truth is being proclaimed like crazy in that video. And for those of you who know Jesus, you know and you should be as awake and as excited as that guy was in the video. But we do not live in a world that sees Jesus like that. We have a world that is actually has a different perspective of who Jesus is. And ultimately, we'll be talking about a lot about that next week. But today, we're going to say it's because the evil one has blinded the eyes of the non-believers, which results in Barna put out as some research about what people and what people think about who Jesus is. And that's the question that we have today. Who do you say Jesus is? And I'm going to pause before we go any further because I want you to take your Sunday school answers that you just have embedded into your mind of knowledge for those of you guys who have raised up in church and just like get rid of them for a little bit. Let's start from scratch because if we really know who Jesus is, it should lead to an awakening of our hearts in some magnificent ways. But the world is asleep, and maybe you are as well. And today we're going to tackle that in some very simple ways. This is what research says about our society. More than 9 out of 10 adults say Jesus was a real person who actually lived. 92% of Americans say that Jesus was a real being. While the percentage is dipping slightly among the younger, younger generations, only 87% of the millennials um, agree that Jesus actually lived. Americans are still very likely to believe the man Jesus Christ once walked on the earth. And if I polled you guys right now and said, do you believe Jesus Christ was a real person? I would almost say 100% of you, according to this, 92% of you would say yes. And so would all the demons in the face of the world. I'm going to pause and say, we can believe all we want to. And so are the demons there's something different that we need to talk about today that, dis, dis, that divides the true believers and those who are truly blinded by religion or anything else. And then it continues. Most adults, not quite six in ten, believe Jesus was God. So only 50%, 56% of potentially those 92% believe that Jesus was God. While about one quarter says that he was only a religious or spiritual leader like Muhammad and Buddha, what, 26%, while the remaining one in six say they, they aren't sure whether Jesus was divine. I just want to let you know Jesus is God. And if you just, if you just, we'll talk about this next week with the things that just don't understand that are kind of blinded with the mystery of the Bible. If you have faith in him as God and God's gift to you, it should change everything. It should wake us up and follow him. We'll get to that in a second. About half of Americans agree either strongly or somewhat, that while he, Jesus, lived on earth, Jesus Christ was human and committed sin. 
like other people. Pause. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. How could Jesus die on the cross a sinner for sinners? It's useless. But a perfect lamb of God who took away the sins of the earth of you and me the earth died on the cross perfectly sinless why because that was what was required for you and for me okay all right just less than half disagree whether strongly or somewhat that Jesus committed sin while on earth um, 46% and 2% aren't sure. And I pray that today you have faith that he was the sinless sacrifice. God Almighty came to this earth for you and for me. And for this, ladies and gentlemen, the posed question of today is, who is Jesus to you? If Jesus is just a religious figure that you know the right words and you're not living him out every single day, I'm telling you what, you have fallen asleep and you are deeply deeply in the trance that this world and our selfishness has to offer. And I'm telling you what, there's so much freedom when you wake up. My prayer after this, again, that you see God's glory, that you hear his voice, and you obey his word. That is my prayer. God, that's my prayer. You know my heart. Sweep through this congregation with that truth. That Jesus, you are God, and the consequence of the sacrifice that you made on the cross was your death. But you did not stay dead. You conquered sin and death, and offers us freedom and forgiveness of sins. To all who would believe, repent, and to turn to you. May this happen today. I pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Luke chapter 9, we're going to continue the book of Luke, and literally, we're just walking through it. This is where we ended up. Luke chapter 9, this is week like 722. Um, so if you don't have a Luke journal, it's free. So if this is your first time, second time, or third time, my friend Zane is going to come by. Just raise your hand. It's free. Bring it back for the next probably two years. Not really. We're trying to knock this out in 2023. All right, so raise your hand if you need a Luke journal. It's free. Take notes. Don't be shy. I know there's some new people in here. Just raise your hand, and Zane, go ahead, try to find them, even the shy people. All right, here we go. So there's a lot of potential content in what I'm about to share, but I'm not going to share the depth of it, because when we actually understand the simplicity and the power and the truths that are being taught in these passages, Literally, it should fully wake us up so that we can see the glory of God, hear his voice, and obey him. You guys ready? Here we go. Luke chapter 9, starting verse 18. And it says this. Let me get to my, there you go. All right, okay, so get ready to underline. I'm going to pause and encourage you guys to underline some stuff. You guys ready? All right, here we go. <clears throat> Now what happened, so this was after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus satisfies some of the multitude of the sometime after, now it happened, that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he, who's he? Jesus asked who? Them, his disciples. Who does the crowd say that I am? So he's asking the posing the question, what does the world say? The people that we're ministering to, the people that we're walking around, the people that are out there, who do they say that they, I am? That was the question. And they answered and said, John the Baptist. 
resurrected from the dead, John the Baptist, and those even said, Elijah, this great, magnificent, powerful prophet that caused fire to come down from heaven to cause a a water shortage of rain all throughout the nations, and others, and even a prophet who has also risen. We're going to get to verse 20 in a second. But if you go backwards in verse 7 or 9, King Herod kind of had the same question. When he was here, and it says in verse 7 and 9, it says, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening. What was happening with Jesus? All the miracles, what Jesus was teaching. He was hearing the move of God through Jesus Christ. And he was what? Perplexed. It's just like, what's going on? And I want to pause and tell you, this whole revival thing that's happening is perplexing everybody. Why? Because it's a move of God in some dramatic ways. And we look at that, and we are, and the social media, gosh, don't look at social media on it. It's stupid. People on the right and the left are saying, it's fake. Other people are saying, um, the world is ending and everything. It's just these young people are falling deeply in love with Jesus and going against the culture, and everybody is perplexed. We as Christ followers should not be perplexed and say, is it real or not? We should say, those young people are worshiping and repenting and turning to Jesus. We should be celebrating and praying for them, not being like, hmm, I wonder. And the hmm, I wonder people are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Just know that God will move and perplex even our religious mindset and move in some mighty ways. And he can do it here. He can do it everywhere. But I guarantee you, we will not fabricate a revival at this church. If it happens, it happens with one person repenting and turning their perplexity into submission to God and repenting from their sins and turning to him full out. And that's what the rest of this passage is going to talk about. That's my prayer for you, and be praying for these young people that are being revived and woken up, and stop being perplexed about it, and start praying for them, because they're the generation that's going to change the world. I guarantee you that. Stop being perplexed. King Herod was perplexed, because it was said that some says there was John, those raised from the dead. By some it was Elijah that appeared and others, and some prophets of old risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded. In other words, I cut John's head off. I saw it on a silver platter. It can't be him, but if other people are saying it's him, that he was perplexed. He's like, what is happening? But who is, who is this that I hear such about? And he sought to see him. And may that be you today, that if you're perplexed on who the real Jesus is, May it be the case that you today have the desire to see him. And then it continued with Peter's response. Peter's response was answering this question. Who do you say I am? That's a question for you and for me today. As the passage continues in verse 20. And he said to them, the disciples... But who do, what's the next word? You. Underline that. But who do you say that I am? And Peter's answer was what? What was Peter's response? What was Peter's response? So he responded, 
the Christ of God. So we have to wonder what he meant by Christ. And if you don't know, Christ uh, means many different things, but it all summarizes into one. One, he is the, let me get my notes. So he is the true priest. The priest was the one who um, ended up being the one who says, you know what, you come to me, I'm going to sacrifice a flawless, sinless, perfect lamb, and I'm going to be the mediator between you and God. And the Messiah, as it's about to reveal, was Christ the God is now the priest, the mediator between Christ, or God and man. He was the true king. True what? King. He was also a, the true prophet. The true prophet. And then ultimately, he was the Messiah. And not just the Messiah, the promised Messiah. The Messiah was the one who's going to come and make things right. So all throughout the Old Testament, it prophesied that the Messiah was going to come and he was going to make things right. But here's the problem, and this might be the problem with some of you today. You say, I know Jesus. He is the Lord and Savior, and he will do X. There's a lot of moves with inside churches, and I mean that with a huge quotation, churches that say, I believe in Jesus and he will give you. I believe in Jesus and he will do. I believe in Jesus and he's my genie in the bottle. No ma'am, no sir. Jesus is the promised Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the promised one who's going to take the sins of the world. That was his purpose. The problem was, again, that Peter had a declaration that Christ, you are the Christ of God, the Messiah. But Jesus knew that there was deeper issues because uh, you'll see this in the weeks to come that the disciples said, you know, you are the Christ of God, yes, but who's going to sit on the right hand of you and who's going to sit on the left? In other words, when you come into Jerusalem and you whoop up on the Romans and the Romans are defeated and then you're standing as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who am I going to, who's going to be your right and left hand person? They got it all mistaken. Jesus was going to die. So now he transitions into, okay, you believe I'm the Christ of God, you are Messiah. Okay, don't tell anybody, but if you're going to follow me in this, ladies and gentlemen, is about to explain who Jesus, what Jesus did. So in verse 21, make sure you turn to verse 21, and it says this. And he strictly commanded them what? What did he, uh, what did he tell them not to do? Tell nobody that he was the Christ. And then he says, the Son of Man, what's the next word? The Son of Man, what? Must. The Son of Man, the King of Kings, the Messiah, must what? Must suffer. He must be rejected. He must be killed. And he must raise from the dead. And when Peter, he's like, um, 
Jesus, and we see this in Matthew, hey, Jesus, um, come here for a second. Come here, come here. Did you know what prophecy says? Jesus, Jesus, says, I, I, I know you're trying to make a big stance and saying, do a sacrificial, humble thing because you're the Messiah, the suffering servant as the Old Testament. But let me tell you what the religious teacher say. The religious teacher says the following, that you're going to reign and you're going to whoop up on the Romans and so on and so forth. Would you stop with this suffering thing? Matthew 16, this is where we find this from. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show the disciples that he what? That he what? Must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be what? So he must suffer. He must be killed. And on the third day, he must what? Raised from the dead. And Jesus took him aside and began to what? That's kind of the scary thing. If you, if you really believe that he's Messiah, and here's Peter, little fisherman, saying, hey, Jesus, you're wrong. That's kind of like, maybe you and me. It's like, how many times do we tell God that he's wrong for doing what he's doing? Be careful. And this is what he says. And saying, far be it for you, Lord, this shall what? Never. And what did Jesus say? This what happens? Must happen. And Peter's like, this shall never happen. This is where the rubber meets the road, possibly with you and me. Watch this. This shall never happen. But he turned to Peter and said to Peter, get behind me what? Satan. So here's his best friend. The one that had his back. The one that was there making these declarations, the, this one that was running this whole brigade of misfits. And he called him Satan. He's like, your evil thoughts are not of God, they're of a man. This is what he says. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on things of who? God. But things of man. And that's, that's the question. Who do you say that Jesus is catalyst? Who do you say that he is? Is he this to you? Is he the words that we would say? Is he Lord? Is he Savior? Is he King? And if you believe this, ladies and gentlemen, have the mindset of God and not the mindset of the world. We're going to tackle that in a second. So this again, what it says, go back to Luke, and it says... Um, for the son must suffer many things and be rejected. So underline these. He must suffer. He must, must be rejected by the chief and the scribes and to be what? Killed. Underline that on the third day raised. So, so what did Jesus do? He, what was the first one that you see in the passage? He suffered. Okay. And then what did he do? He was rejected. What else did he do? He got killed. In fact, he got murdered. And then what happened after three days? He rose from the dead. And this, I'll just give a happy face. Because that day was awesome. Uh, for real, that, that day was awesome. We're like, but he suffered for you. He was rejected for you. He was killed for you. He rose from the dead for that should put a smile on your face and say, thank you. 
That verse that we're saying, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks. Why? Because this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he suffered, was rejected, died, and rose again for you. And all he's asking you to do is now follow him. That's all he's asking you to do. He's like, because I am Jesus, because I am God, I came and I must do these things because he had you in mind. He must come to die, suffer for Jim, for Wes, for me, for Rachel, for Carrie, and yes, absolutely, for my daughter as well. Everybody. The axe murderers, the ones that are rapists, the ones who have abused the system, everybody, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So he came, died, suffered for you and for me, and all he's asking you to do is not just know him, but now to what? Follow him. Follow who? Follow me. And just in case you are wondering who the me is, it's Jesus. Not, not a religious function. Not a church. Not a revival. But follow who? Jesus. And then it says in verse 23. And he said to all. So get this in mind. So he went out and he's like, who does the world say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Peter's like, I declare that you're the Christ of God, which means you're the true priest. You're the king. You're the true prophet. You are the Messiah. We would say he's Lord and Savior and King of our lives. Why? Because as it says, he must. And now we look back at what he did. So the disciples were like looking forward to what he did. We look back to what Jesus did as Messiah, King, Lord. And he suffered, rejected, and he was killed. And he rose for who? For you and for me. The problem is we stop there. The problem is we stop there. And we know that he did it. We believe in that he did it. And having this mindset of believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, yes, that saves you, but it should save you with a smile on your face to now follow him as Lord and Savior. And this is why Jesus continues. Like, yes, I am. Don't tell anybody. And yes, I must suffer and die. And Peter, get behind me. You're thinking of the things of the world. You're not thinking of the things of me. Now follow me. Follow me. And I'm telling you, catalyst, listen, follow him. Wake up. This is not a religion. This is not Christianity. This is a life transformation, repentance of our sin, following Jesus in every aspect of your life, not just something you come to Sunday to do. This is a life-changing, transformed life that will cause you to what? Follow Jesus. And this is what he says. And he said to all of them. Notice it, it, in the, the people that translated the Bible, they put a pause there. There's not a pause there. There is a, on the third day he rose and he said to them. So it's a continual statement. If anyone would come, follow, come and do what I do after me, let him what? Let him. So these are red letters. So mark it in red, which means this is what Jesus said. 
If you want to follow me, if you believe that I am who I say I am and I did what I said I'd do, it, it doesn't stop there. It says, follow me. If you're going to come after me, number one, you need to what? Deny what? Self. Deny yourself. And I think if we just stopped there, had a whole... 11-week sermon series on that, it might help us. But I'm telling you, you just need to know that without Christ, as number one, you are a selfish, arrogant, prideful person. And that's what Jesus said, deny yourself, which means this, humble yourself with submission. This is what it means to deny yourself. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand, under what he did, and simply say, I am nothing. Can you use me? And he's like, absolutely, we're in the right place. God, forgive me of my selfish sins. I repent from the white lie all the way to the axe murderer. Please forgive me. He's like, we're in the right place. This is where the awakening will happen. So deny yourself and follow him is what he says. And then it says, if you want to come after me, let him deny himself and take up what? Take up his cross. Whose cross? Who's his? No. His own. Because we can carry the burden of Jesus, yes, but you will fall short every time. It's like take up your cross. What he means by this is take or carry, sorry, carry your cross. How often? Daily. Which means be willing to die for your faith. It means, yes, we believe that Jesus did this. He carried his cross and he was willing to die. But at the same time, it means if you're going to follow him, it might mean catalyst. You might die for your faith. You're like, I'll never die for your faith. Yeah, you probably won't in America as of right now, maybe later. But I want you to hear you loud and clear. This is the prep season. Deny yourself, humble yourself, submit to God in all things with humility, and then be willing to go and carry a torturing device and go to work every day and says, I am willing to die for it. But what do we do to go to work? We go to go to work and be like, I went to church yesterday. Or on social media, it's just like, I'm a Christian. No. Carry your cross, daily, like Jesus did. What Jesus did was the following. He went to the cross without saying a word. He went to the cross without calling down legions of angels to whoop up on the Romans. He went to the cross, and the greatest words ever on the cross was, it is finished. Which results in this to all who would believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that he came, died, rose again, rejected, it means you are saved. Now go follow him, which means denying yourself, carrying the cross, and what? Following him. Verse 24, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will what? We'll save it. So what does that mean? You and I need to die to ourselves, but we need to be willing to lose our life. 
And this life here is different than the carrying of the cross. This is being willing to die a torturous death because you are undeniably believing that Jesus is Lord and that what he did undeniably, no matter what the skeptics say, what this losing your life means, and they illustrate it, is this. The world does not have authority over you. Your life, the American dream, the American mindset, the white picket fence and the, the 17 dogs and the cat that just died, all those type of things, um, just put it to death. Just say no to the world. And this is what he continued to say. He says, lose his life. For what does it profit a person or a man if he gains the whole what? If he gains the whole world, he gain everything that you want, that everybody on Instagram, TikTok, or whatever the things that are out there say that you should do, Jesus is like, deny yourself, be willing to die for your faith, get rid of the world's temptations that are out there, get rid of it. What profits the whole world but gains or forfeits himself? And that's my prayer for you. Many of you are still, the devil has tempted you with the American dream. He's tempting you with money. He's tempting you with the house. He's tempting you with the perfection that you think that you need to have. And Jesus is just saying, deny that. Be willing to die for me. This world that has all these temptations, get rid of it. Because you can profit all of that and forfeit your soul because you love that more than you love me. And then lastly, he simply says, for whoever is what? Ashamed of me and my what? Words. So it's both ashamed of me and my teachings and my words. Um, of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly that there is some standing here that will not taste death until you see the kingdom. Last one is this. Be, what do you think it's going to say? Be what? Be unashamed. Be unashamed. Which I heard somebody say the other word, which is bold. Be bold. Before I read the last part, I just, I just, gosh. Catalyst Church will be 12 years old next Sunday. I have probably preached sermons like this for 12 years. You have heard it when you read the Bible. You've heard it in songs. You've heard it on Caleb. Just When are you really going to move from knowing Jesus, knowing what he did, when are you going to move to following him? I love you enough to say, wake up. Wake up to who Jesus is. Wake up to the sacrifice that he 
did for you and for me. But we take it for granted for those of you who are religious and you're like, no, I like myself. Oh, no, 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 I'm not willing to die for it because you know what? I'll never die. Wake up. I like the world. I like the white pig offenses. I like my job. I like all this stuff. And you know what? It makes sense. And then many of you are so ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you are staying silent. You're missing out. Wake up. Because when you do, as this next passage says, you will see the glory of God. You'll hear his voice and you will obey him by following him. So I'm begging you to simply, how do you do this? Wake what? Up. Wake up. And you're like, how do I wake up? Figure it out. If you need me to spoon feed you on how to wake up, you're deader than a doornail. I could say, read your Bible, pray, confession, and all this stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. But it takes you being willing to start with number one, deny yourself. That starts it. That's what Jesus says. I'm going to humble myself and say, because Jesus is who he is and is what he is, I'm going to humble myself and say, I surrender all to you. Please, Lord Jesus, change my heart. And the simple start, he's going to say, repent from your sins, the small and the great, and let's start over from scratch. The passage for today ends with I would say one of the most beautiful, glory-filled passages that answers this question. So I think it's beautiful. Eight days later on, after he says, follow me, the book end of this passage, eight days later on, Jesus Christ was transformed. They got to see the God of him. He was transformed. Let me read this, and this is my prayer for you, that you listen to this, and in light of what we just talked about, may you see Jesus truly in the same light. Now, after eight days of these sayings, he took him, he took with him Peter, John, and James, and went to the mountain to what? To pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. And the cloth and his clothing became dazzling white purity. And behold, two men were talking to him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his what? Departure. I'm going to pause right there, and I want you to look at me. Jesus must suffer. He must be rejected. He must die, and he must raise from the dead. And in his physical state, he's like, I know the suffering that that's going to have. So God Almighty, um, God the Father sent Moses and Elijah said, hey, let's do it. You must do it. 
You must do it. You must do it. And the glory of God shone through Jesus. It was the who Jesus was was revealed at that moment. The book ends of this passage. It was revealed. Can you imagine what Peter and John and James, they were there, they're like... Jesus was being transformed. Moses and Elijah was there. And they were sound asleep. The glory of God is tangibly everywhere at all times. When you look at the stars, when you look at the weather, when you look at the grass, when you look at the ants, when you look at, when you look at creation, it testifies about the glory of God. But what do we do? We take it for granted. We just walk along, we take it for granted, and you're missing the glory of God right in front of you because you are asleep to his glory. When you read the word of God, you're like, I got to do it because Pastor Dave is going to say, did you memorize the passage? Or do you be like, oh, I see your glory. I see your words. You're talking to me right now. And when we pray, you're praying to Jesus, the sacrificial lamb. And he's like, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. Would you please have community with me? And what do we do? Lord, I pray that I won't hurt somebody at work today. Amen. No. Who are you talking to is the most important part of our prayers. And when we take the blinders off and we wake up to see the magnificence of who God is, it should transform our life, which should lead us to denying ourselves, which should lead us to being willing to die for the sake of God's glory, which should lead us to deny taking the world and saying, shove it, I've got the greatest kingdom ever that I'm going to go to, and I'm going to be unashamed about it. And, but it takes us to do what? Waking what? Up. So he spoke to them about the departure, the things that must accomplish in Jerusalem. Verse 32. Now Peter and those who were with them were what? heavy with sleep. But when they became what? Fully awake. Not just, oh, bright light, I'm going to go back to bed. No, fully awake to see the glory of God in their midst. (laughs) They were told later on not to tell anybody about this, but here we are today, and we get to testify that God is Jesus. Jesus is God, the Savior of the world, and he suffered, was rejected, and died, and rose again for you. So do you love him? And he, if you say yes, follow him. And this, this is, Peter does what you and I do. I see the glory of God. Now let's figure it out. I see you, Jesus, in your magnificent glory, your magnificent power. I even see a, Moses and Elijah, heard about them, read about them, but they're there. Let's, 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 let's have church. <laughs> That's what he's saying. He's like, hey, I'm going to pitch you a tent so everything's okay, so you guys can have a dialogue. He was attempting to help 
But you'll see in this passage in a second, he was attempting to help. And as soon as he stopped speaking, God the Father covered them like a cloud. It's like, I don't need your tent. I've got my tent. I don't need your presence. I've got my presence. And when you and I understand that in the presence of God, you now get to see the glory of God. You not only get to see him, but you'll now, as you'll talk about it, you get to hear his voice. And what he's saying to you and to me is this. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Lose your life. Don't worry about the world. Be unapologetic, bold for me. But it takes you waking up. Now Peter and those who were with him were in heavy sleep. But then when they were fully awake, they what? Saw his glory. What a great, great blessing. They saw the glory of God through Christ Jesus. And the two men that stood with him. And the two men, as they were departing, as they were leaving, Peter said to the Lord, Master, it is good that we're all here. Duh! Like Peter, he's like, it's good that we come to church today. It's good that we're fellowshipping with two, we're going to small groups. It's good. Duh, but who and what are you doing about it? And Peter tried, and he's like, hey, let's make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. And ladies and gentlemen, I love the grace of God even in here. It's just like, Peter's a dum-dum. It's like he doesn't know what he's doing. And let me give, give you and me an out-of-jail-free card. We're like, we're going to go to small group to give God glory. You don't know what you're doing, but go to small group. We're going to come to a church service, but we don't know what we're doing. Just, just, it's good, but why are you here? Why are you in this blooming building on a Sunday morning unless you're going to glorify God deny yourself, let the word of God penetrate your heart, lead you to worship, and surrender. And I'm telling you what, stop coming to Catalyst Church if you're here for selfish motives. If you're here for the glory of God, come on. We're going to learn about God. We're going to grow. We're going to say, we ain't got it together, but we know who does. So hear me closely. I don't care if this church diminishes down to 50 people. And if these 50 of you are surrendered to God, you will see a revival break out in Evansville for those who deny themselves, take up their cross, lose this world, and then be unashamed. I'll take 50. Jesus took 12, because I'm not Jesus. So you and I need to come to our senses and wake up. Stop trying to figure it out and just bask in the glory of God. And as he was saying these things, the cloud overshadowed them, God's presence. And they were afraid to enter the cloud. The cloud was hiding the glory of Jesus. Why? Because Peter was trying to figure it out. God was like, I don't need you, Peter. I will later on. Technically, I don't even need you, but I want to use you because you're just so messed up. And that's an invitation for us. And then... From the cloud, a voice came out and said, This is my son, my chosen one. Pause. This is my son. Who is Jesus? God the Father shouted out from the cloud. He's like, He is my son 
In fact, he's my chosen son for a purpose, and that is to suffer, be rejected, and killed, and to raise for you, Peter, and for the world. And then he ends with the following. Listen to him. So, what does he say for us to do? If God the Father says, this is my son that I sent to you to die for you, rose from the dead, and he says, listen to him. Notice red letters. This is what he says. Deny yourself. Humble yourself completely by submitting to God. Carry your cross daily. Be willing to die for your faith. Lose your life. Lose the pleasures of this world for the glory of God of God and be unashamed about the beautiful gospel that was given to you and to me because he suffered was rejected and he was killed but he rose from the dead and if you believe he rose from the dead he conquered sin and death and he is saying come come follow me But the only way that Peter, John, and James could even experience that and be obedient to that is when they became fully, what, awake. Bow your head and close your eyes, please. Father, forgive me for trying to figure things out. I personally confess that you are God. Jesus, you are King, Messiah, the true prophet, the, the one who came for me. And I believe that you suffered. We were rejected by men. You were killed on the cross, but at the end you said, it is finished. You offered your life for me. But then you rose from the dead. Your glory is real. Your glory is true. Forgive me for not following you with all my life, my heart. We've got a lot of work still to do. And Lord, I believe that starts with confession, repentance on my end. But to us all, the invitation stands. Lord, convict everyone's heart here on who you are, Jesus. Convict our heart to what you did. And Lord, if there's anybody in here for the very first time is saying, oh, Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is Savior. He died for me. Lord, I pray that they will place their faith and trust in you as Lord and Savior today. But this passage is more for us as those who believe in who you are and what you did. Because in order for us to truly see your glory, hear your voice, and to obey you, Jesus, we need to wake up. So I don't know what sins that we are holding on to, what things that we are dealing with, 
that are keeping us asleep. Maybe it's the American dream. Maybe it's our anger. Maybe it's our pride. Maybe it's our lust. Maybe it's, well, you know. Convict that to our heart, and may it lead to true repentance. Awaken us today to our depravity. Awaken us today unto who you are so that the knowledge of you moves from our head to our heart. Remove our hard heart and give us the heart of flesh by you, Spirit. Lord, we're going to simply sing a song and do work with you however you see fit. May we turn our eyes to Jesus.